Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker. So how do you think the United States does in terms of the accessibility and affordability of our civil justice system? Well, you may be in for a rude awakening because we're going to tell you about some of the figures that are rather shocking. And also we're going to talk about some recent court actions and many of the things that are going on that affect your access to the law. And my guest today is someone who certainly knows that his name is Tom Gordon. He is the executive director of Responsive Law. Tom, welcome to Of Consuming Interest. Glad to be here, Shirley. You know, uh, you all have some very interesting things going on. I know that you recently had a summit to discuss some of the, the things that are happening. But overall, I'm afraid that what I read and what I know, what about our accessibility of our small claims court and so on, we don't rank very high, do we, in terms of what other countries have to offer, for example. No, I think anybody who's tried to get help with uh, legal matter in this country knows that it's something that we don't really do very well at. And uh, that's been quantified uh, over the years. There's an organization called the World Justice Project that has a rule of law index that they release every year. Uh, it ranks countries on a few dozen components uh, that deal with how they, uh, how they enforce the rule of law. And Although the U.S. is 27th overall in the rankings, which is not too bad out of 139 countries, uh, it continues to be among the worst in the world in access to affordable legal help. Uh, we're 126th out of 139 countries for, uh, for that category. And, you know, accessibility is really one of the big issues that we have here and that we see at Call for Action because we deal with so many cases that really need some legal intervention, but the, the levels on them are higher than what our small claims court um, will allow. And is there any move to raise the limits on uh, small claims courts or is that too controlled by the legal profession and they don't want competition? There are a lot of places where the rules are set not so much in the public interest, but they're set by uh, these rules are set by courts and by bar associations. And so they're set not so much in terms of what's the public interest, but in terms of what's going to best serve that monopoly. Um, so, no, we don't see a lot of movement on things like small claims dollar limits. Uh, we have seen some movement in other areas where a few states have started to uh, take steps to allow different ways of providing legal services. And that could be using people other than lawyers to uh, provide competent help or allowing lawyers to practice in business models that aren't currently allowed in most states that would allow them to provide services at a more affordable uh, rate. We, we've talked about these issues before, and I've, I've always thought that that there's something that can be done without taking away the livelihood of the lawyers and at the same time making it so that some people, I mean, to afford a lawyer to do something for you, it's really pretty pricey. And it really does shut out an awful lot of our population. And then the small levels on the small claims courts, what with the value of everything going up so much and inflation and over the years, some of those small claims courts haven't seen any movement and whatever, but we're not here just to talk about small claims court. I want to talk about some of the other issues too, and, and that in terms of accessibility. And one of the things 
that was just recently decided in the Florida Supreme Court, I know that you've discussed, is the ticked case. And would you describe to our listeners what that is? Sure. Uh, there was a company called Ticked, T-I-K-D, that was operating in Florida and several other states where you could uh, take a photo if you got a traffic ticket uh, for a you know minor violation. I think they didn't they didn't do DUIs or any you know, vehicular homicide or anything major like that. But if you got a, say a speeding ticket, you could scan that photo, uh, upload it to their website, and they would quote you a price to take care of the ticket. And when I mean take care of the ticket, let's say you had a hundred dollar ticket uh, for going thirty five and a twenty five, they might uh, say we'll charge you seventy five dollars. And for that $75, we will put you, we'll uh, get you together with a lawyer. You do not have to do anything. You can meet with the lawyer if you want to. You could just let the lawyer take care of it for you. And win or lose, uh, whether the lawyer gets the ticket dismissed or not, you will only pay that $75. And Ticked would then take the money they paid that you paid them and pay the lawyer to represent you in uh, defending against the traffic ticket. Uh, if the traffic ticket was dismissed, Ticked would keep the balance of the money. If it was upheld, Ticked would pay for the traffic ticket. Wow, uh, that sounds so like a winner for consumers. It's a it was a win for everybody. It was a win for consumers uh, who didn't have to deal with finding a lawyer for that, which can be very difficult. It was a win for lawyers who used this platform to find business because they could uh, pull together, aggregate a bunch of cases and take them all at once, not have to worry about marketing and let uh, let Ticked find clients for them. Mm -hmm. uh, the only people it wasn't a win for was a, a Florida law firm called the Ticket Clinic, which had been uh, working statewide to take on ticket cases for a few decades. And back when they started their business, uh, started their firm a couple decades ago or whenever that was, they were the innovators. And they said, you know, they did advertising, which wasn't usually done and said, we will fight your traffic ticket for you. And people knew where to find them because they were on uh, bus stop benches and lots of other places where people could find out about them. But uh, then the ticket clinic convinced the Florida bar to go after, uh, go after ticked for what they considered to be, or they claimed was the unauthorized practice of law. Uh, they said that ticked was uh, acting as a, was not a lawyer. The company was not a lawyer. And they were, they said they were controlling what lawyers did, which is not allowed and is considered the practice of law. Okay. Now that was a, a ruling in Florida, which means that the app can't be used there. Is that ruling uh, going to be ap applicable to all states or what, what's, how does that work, Tom? Well, it's not binding on other states. Um, what one state Supreme Court does in interpreting its regulations around the practice of law doesn't, uh, doesn't necessarily hold for other states, but other states will look at that for guidance often. So uh, we are concerned that this will have a chilling effect on other companies that are innovating and providing uh, affordable ways for consumers to get legal help. Well, I can see why there is a concern about that. As you said, once they set a precedent, it's easy for other states to pick up on it and for the Bar Association. Who brought the case? Was it brought by the Bar Association or was the, uh, was the co complaint brought against the competitor? Uh, the complaint was brought by the Bar Association, but there was a lot of pressure behind the scenes by the ticket clinic, that law firm, to uh, for yeah. have the Florida Bar bring that case. And so the ticket clinic... I still don't understand how it was different from the other because the other used the app used lawyers as well. I... The ticket clinic was a law firm which was owned entirely by lawyers, the traditional way. I of see. Okay. 
And so because it was, it was a company that innovated, they were, uh, then they weren't run by lawyers that was considered by, at least in the minds of the court, to be an authorized practice of law. Okay. Even All right. Well, let's lawyers just represent the people. Yeah. Let's just take a brief pause here to let our listeners know they're tuned into Of Consuming Interest. You're listening to Of Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest is Tom Gordon. He's the executive director of Responsive Law, which is a, Tom himself is a lawyer. Um, he is a, um, a out there fighting for consumers' rights in terms of giving access to the legal system and making it more affordable. Um, Tom, moving forward here, we've been just talking about that ticked case, which I find fascinating. Do you think that that um, there are ways that they may find to get around this ruling in Florida? Uh, I know that the Florida Bar Association is very restrictive. They don't want a bunch of retired lawyers coming down there practicing as well. And so they, they are pretty tight, aren't they? And they've been the ones that have brought legal cases against the par paralegals, et cetera, and so on. Can you put it in perspective for us? Sure. Florida is, has consistently over the years been one of the most aggressive in going after uh, competitors to the traditional bar. So as you mentioned, they've They've, uh, the Florida Bar has sued paralegals for engaging in what they considered unauthorized practice. Uh, they have, and as you, we've seen in the ticked case, they've gone after a company that used lawyers to help people, but considered they thought that was, uh, was unauthorized practice of law. So uh, it is certainly a problem in Florida and in other states as well. Um, what was interesting in the ticked case, uh, one of the many things that's interesting is uh, the opinion of the court mentioned several times that they did not think that ticked was harming anybody. And in fact, they thought that uh, as a matter of policy and as a matter of improving access to the legal system, ticked was probably on balance providing a good service for people. But they said it just wasn't their job to, as the court, to uh, make that decision about policy. Uh, interestingly, though, the uh, guess who makes the policy about who can practice law in Florida? Gee, I wonder if it has anything to do with the Bar Association. It's actually the Florida Supreme Court is the ultimate uh, policymaker, oh, really? regulator, with the uh, with the Bar Association having a big role in that process. But uh, basically, they said, "Oh, we're the Florida Supreme Court. We're not. We're here to decide this case. You can't uh, make a policy change here. That's the job of somebody else. That's uh, for that. You need to see the Florida Supreme Court. Uh, so step down to the next is, window, is, and we'll help you." A little there. bit of circular thinking there. Right. There's there's a lot of circular thinking and a lot of excessive bureaucracy. So. What's likely to happen if there were to be uh, a situation where the Florida Supreme Court were to change its mind on this as a policy matter and change the rules that they felt they had to uphold in this case, they would have to go back to a process where the Florida bar is formally, invo excuse me, formally involved at every stage um, and then would have to have you know, mandatory input from the Florida bar and as members of committees that would consider this if it somehow made it to the Florida Supreme Court a couple of years down the road, you could potentially see a rule change through that process. But uh, I wouldn't hold my breath waiting for that to happen. Well, now, have other states, uh, have there been any other kinds of apps developed in addition to TICT that um, might come under scrutiny of the courts, of the Bar Association? Uh, there, I mean, there are other apps out there in lots of, you know, not just in traffic, but in other uh, other areas as well and other companies that are providing 
uh, a you know either referrals to lawyers or a matching service that'll find you a lawyer, uh, or providing service through software that doesn't uh, provide legal advice but will help people complete forms. And so any of those companies could potentially you know continue to face uh, face this aggressive UPL prosecution in Florida. So TICT will have to will not be able to permit Florida users from using its app, but right now users in other states will be able to continue using it unless those states move against it. Would that be a fair? Well, it would be, except that TICT, sadly, uh, because in part, you know, uh, this defense can be expensive and TICT actually pivoted to provide different business uh, services ultimately and got out of the ticket fighting business. Oh, okay. Uh, but similar, yeah, similar uh, apps and similar companies providing services in other states aren't directly affected by this and can continue their work. Um, and well, some companies some in Florida the... might continue uh, depending on how they think the ruling might affect them. Right, right. Interesting times, Tom. Very interesting things going on out there, especially with the innovation of technology and accessibility, making things so accessible through your computer. It's uh, it's very interesting. What were some of the things that, that came out of your recent summit um, that you would like to just share with our listeners? Sure. Well, there's a lot of things. I mean, we, we bring together, occasionally we bring together some policy experts from around the country to talk about these issues and how we can uh, better uh, get help for consumers and change the rules so that consumers can have better access to legal help. Um, one of the things that we're looking at right now, there's a couple of states that have changed their laws around, uh, changed the regulations around uh, the business models that are allowable for legal services. So not just whether it can be used uh, legal services provided by a lawyer or by, say, a paralegal who provides services directly to consumers, but also uh, issues around the ownership of law firms. So, for example, in most states, you're not allowed to, as a lawyer, you're not allowed to work uh, for a company providing legal services unless that company is entirely owned by lawyers. Uh, so there's a reason, if, for instance, if you want tax help, you can go to H&R Block, which is a national company, and get tax advice from a company that's not owned entirely by accountants. But there's no equivalent for lawyers because lawyers aren't allowed to work for a company like H&R Block to provide services for the public. So a Costco or a Walmart, or uh, Microsoft or an Amazon, none of those companies can provide legal services, even through lawyers. Uh, what's happened though recently is both Utah and Arizona have changed that rule. Uh, Arizona has changed the rule entirely to allow uh, licensure of companies that are uh, not entirely owned by lawyers. And uh, Utah is doing what's called a regulatory sandbox uh, where they're collecting data on uh, some carefully controlled examples of this that they're letting practice with uh, with these types of business models. And so that's been a cause for optimism for us. And we're seeing other states such as California are exploring this as well. And we're hopeful that if a larger state like California can, uh, can make this work, that that'll set an example for the rest of the country. Oh, well, you know, it, it, there are bright spots, at least, Tom, and it's so good that we got you here to help us to share some of that. Um, I do I do know that that you all have been fighting the fight for a long time. Where do you see some of the areas that, uh, like I mentioned small claims court earlier. Well, while I don't want to go into a very deep discussion on it. Has there been any changes in small claims court? That's supposed to be the people's court, but unfortunately it doesn't meet the needs of an awful lot of people anymore. Mm -hmm. 
No, and the you know, small claims dollar limits uh, are very low, so you can't very effectively bring a lot of everyday cases in small claims court in a lot of states. Um, you know, those limits hover around five or ten thousand dollars, and people could easily have legal issues uh, you know, amounting to fifteen or twenty thousand dollars for uh, any number of things. If they're you know, if they're a small business and they're uh, dealing with a contractor, if they're dealing with home repair and uh, have an issue with somebody doing that, or if they're buying a car and have an issue with a lemon, they're going to have issues that would be uh, beyond the scope, beyond the financial amount for a small claims court case. Right. Let's just take a brief pause here to let our listeners know they're tuned into Of Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. My guest on Consuming Interest is Tom Gordon. He's the Executive Director of Responsive Law. And we're talking about the various things that are going on in our country that have to do with the accessibility for consumers to the legal system. Where do you think some of the weakest areas are for consumers, Tom? I don't necessarily mean in states. I mean, in terms of areas where you feel that the services need to be expanded. I know we've talked about paralegals um, and, and other people and the business models that you just mentioned. What are some of the other areas that you would see? Uh, two of the biggest areas are uh, landlord-tenant uh, law and uh, family law. Uh, right now, if you go into any landlord-tenant court or family uh, court in the country, you're going to see 80% of the people there are representing themselves. Um, and that's because uh, their options are to pay for a lawyer, which they can't afford, or do it themselves. Uh, and so they end up doing it themselves because they just can't afford help under the current system. Um, and the pandemic has really exacerbated this problem where people are having more and more issues with uh, in these areas and in many cases, less ability to pay for any legal help at all. So there really needs to be another type of service available where uh, people who are competent to provide representation, advice, um, assistance in these, in these courts should be able to do this without having to get a JD and go through three years of law school when in fact, uh, they may know everything they need to know about those areas and are going to provide way more help than uh, the person that a litigant is stuck with, which is themselves. Have we seen states making moves towards that kind of models for consumers? We are seeing some of that. Uh, there are um, there are a few things. New York State has experimented with uh, what they call a court navigator program, where there's people affiliated with affiliated with the court who are volunteers who can uh, help people guide them through the system. Uh, and we're seeing in some other states, uh, I mentioned Utah and Arizona, um, allowing um, allowing some licensure of paralegals. Um, Washington State did for a while allow uh, licensed independent paralegals. They called them license, limited licensed legal technicians, but they set the bar too high for uh, for people to do that. It was al almost as much uh, of a of a bar to pass as the uh, as passing the actual bar as a lawyer. You had to get almost as much training uh, as a lawyer to become that profession, and so uh, they ended up disbanding that licensure. They saw the uh, state Supreme Court sunset their licensure program because they weren't getting enough interest, not because people wouldn't have benefited from it, but because they just set the bar too high and made it basically designed it to fail. Well, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. And then, of course, turn right around and met that expectation, didn't it? Right. Where, where else do we need to go, Tom? 
Um, you know, California, as I said, is the big place right now. And one of the big problems with this process in any state, and it's certainly true in California, is that it is entirely run by lawyers. Uh, the State Bar of California, which is actually uh, the regulatory agency that uh, that regulates the practice of law there, is actually made up of uh, both lawyers and non-lawyers. But the process by which they uh, do their hearings and give notice of, uh, of potential changes is entirely within the legal bubble. So uh, I've been at uh, hearings virtually where I'm the only consumer voice and everybody else there is a lawyer and representing the interests of lawyers. So one of the things actually that we're trying to do is gather stories from people who could use help uh, and haven't been able to afford it and would love to see more affordable options. In fact, if people wanted to email us at info at responsivelaw.org, uh, we'd be happy to collect their stories and uh, be able to present them to, uh, to these regulatory bodies uh, because the regulatory bodies certainly aren't making these things known to the general public. Yeah, and, and that is so important that consumers put their voice out there, make it heard, let, let the, your representatives, let your, the legal profession know that we want help, that we need help, and that we need to give access. Well, you know, I mean, I, I just, I go back to the small claims court, the, the, the amounts allowed in them are so small, it's laughable anymore. Um, so anyway, we, we need to discuss that as well at some point, you and I, and we will take that on. What uh, we only have a couple of minutes. Will you want to wrap up for us and tell us what what consumers how they can get involved? Sure. Like I said, uh, we are uh, gathering consumer stories of how the legal system has been unaffordable for them. So stories of how people, you know, this is a common thing. Sadly, most people have an issue where they were not able to get help from uh, from anybody because lawyers were unaffordable. Um, and so talking to people about uh, what kinds of experiences they've had with the legal system and how they would benefit from having a more affordable option of some sort of uh, affordable professional, whether it's a lawyer or somebody else. Um, again, if they email us at info at responsivelaw.org, uh, we'd be happy to you know, follow up with them and talk. And if they want to talk to a uh, policymaker, such as the State Bar of California at one of these hearings, it would be great to uh, be able to surprise them with the uh, you know, mass outpouring of consumers who just don't know that there's a hearing being held by the state bar of California. Uh, it's, and our you know, listeners should know we're not anti-lawyers or anything else. My husband's a lawyer. I even have friends who are lawyers, Tom, and you are an attorney as well. So it's not that we want to make the life difficult for the legal profession. We just want to have a little bit more access to it, which, um, you know, we've seen a move in doctor's offices, for example, to doctor's assistants, uh, physician's assistants, which has really opened up the medical field a good bit for many practices. So we need to see some more of this in the, the legal profession, I think. Is that, would that be a fair appraisal? That, that's exactly right. And lawyers benefit from this as well. You mentioned the medical profession. Doctors used to have to give shots. So if you went in for your flu shot, it had to be a doctor who did it. And doctors don't want to spend their day giving shots. Doctors want to be able to, like we say, practice at the top of their license. They want to do things that they've right. been trained and are, and are specifically trained for. Lawyers don't want to spend all day filling out forms. They want to practice at the top of their license too. And so allowing other professionals to help people will let lawyers do that and let them do what they went to law school to do. To just keep in mind, it's responsivelaw.org. They're a nonprofit organization. They've been around for many years. I've known Tom and had him on my radio program over the years, and we've discussed some 
interesting issues. And unfortunately, in some of the areas, we've seen progress in other areas we haven't. Tom, it's been really good having you on. Thank you so much for taking time out to talk with us. My guest has been Tom Gordon. He's the Executive Director of Responsive Law, which is a nonprofit organization fighting for consumers' access to the legal system. I'm Shirley Rooker. You've been listening to Of Consuming Interest right here on the Federal News Network. You can reach me at Shirley at callforaction.org. Thank you. Of Consuming Interest is a public service program presented by WJLA 7 Call for Action, hosted by Shirley Rooker. Call for Action is an international nonprofit network of hotlines which offer free and confidential assistance. If you have a complaint, contact Call for Action at 301-652-HELP. That's 301-652-HELP. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.